0: Hello, everyone. This is Sam Ridgway, owner of Viking Alternative Medicine, and we are here again with Nick Major, who is a medical practitioner at Viking. And what Nick is going to t- talk about, this is a multi-part series here, and it's oh, it's nutrition. And uh, one of it, this is important because a lot of people think that, uh, you know, going to the gym and the, that kind of thing is the most important part of fitness, whereas uh, the nutrition part is, like, so much more like that's the hard part anybody can go to the gym not everybody can eat correctly so we're going to go into this in a multi-part series starting off with protein and then we're going to go to fats and then the macros how to eat what what to eat and that's going to tie all uh, all together in one of the later segments as well so first of all nick how are you doing today
1: i'm doing well sir how are you
0: doing great thank you and i just wanted to say that nick has uh first-hand knowledge in this because he does do the bodybuilding thing which of course is just absolutely, practically pure nutrition after you get past, you know, just the easy part of going to the gym. So without further ado, Nick, take it away. What about uh, protein and uh, what would people want to know about it?
1: Sure, so um, today we're gonna talk about protein, uh, a critically important part of uh, um, what we eat in order to optimize body composition. So we're gonna talk a little bit about protein metabolism, um, how protein affects, hypertrophy or muscular development and muscle composition. Talk about protein intake recommendations and protein meal timing, this idea of protein periodization and uh, the idea of protein safety. Um, A lot of people have been fed bad data with respect to protein and Um, you know um, uh, maximizing protein consumption impairs kidney function uh, and in the setting of healthy renal metabolism healthy kidney function that just uh, is largely false we'll talk about that here in just a minute so um uh, what is a protein well protein is combined um, is a combined chain of amino acids uh, that are the building blocks of body tissues and so there are 20 amino acids that comprise um uh, you know, body tissues, uh, you know, within, uh, within you know, human, you know, physiology. Uh, there's nine essential amino acids. Uh, three of them are what we call branch chain amino acids. Uh, and then uh, uh, they're four calories per gram. And so these are the uh, building blocks uh, of, uh, of protein in the body. Now, there's a constant state of protein turnover uh, in the body. And this um will result in this delicate balance between uh protein synthesis and protein degradation or protein breakdown um, and uh, this is important uh, because protein balance can also uh, be explained as um, the building of protein versus the degradation or breakdown of protein so um, if you are building more protein and that exceeds the breakdown of protein you're going to have a net positive protein balance and uh, the result of that is the development of muscle tissue as opposed to if you have more protein degradation or protein breakdown um, uh, that exceeds uh, uh, protein synthesis or protein building um, you're going to have a net loss of uh, you know muscle tissue um, theoretically so um, when we think about these amino acids that comprise protein um, the question becomes, uh, well, where do they come from? Well, there's a pool of amino acids in, uh, in the body. And um, uh, this is where uh, these constituents of proteins come from. And so what builds this pool of amino acids that constitutes these proteins? Well, um, we see amino acids coming from dietary sources. Um, you know, the foods that we eat, um, you know, capture these uh, you know, amino acids. We see amino acids coming in and out of this protein pool from uh body proteins in the body particularly skeletal muscle and organs so organ tissue Um, this amino acid uh, pool can also undergo um you know a breakdown called catabolism forming urea and carbon dioxide and participate in uh, the biosynthesis of these nitrogenous compounds in the body like porphyrins creatine carnitine hormones and nucleotides so um this Uh, Dynamic balance um, uh, of uh, protein synthesis versus degradation um, really dictates, um, you know, the development of, uh, you know, muscle tissue within the body. Um, And so it's important that, uh, you know, we optimize uh, a healthy net positive protein balance in order to facilitate healthy development of muscle tissue. So how does protein consumption affect hypertrophy? Uh, well, protein alone causes a transient rise in uh, protein synthesis. Um, and uh, so you can consume healthy amounts of protein and still develop muscular tissue, even in the absence of exercise. Now, we you know when we combine healthy protein consumption with exercise, it accelerates or potentiates protein synthesis and subsequently the development of uh, you know muscle tissue. And if we feed the muscle... During a strategic post-exercise window, we further potentiate, uh, you know, the development of protein synthesis and subsequent uh, um, uh, development of, uh, you know, muscular tissue. So this anabolic sensitivity that we see um, uh, exists in the body post-training at around 24 hours. So um, uh, the body becomes anabolic um, in terms of its ability uh, to... Um, Synthesized protein up to 24 hours after intense training. But this magic window is right at about five to six hours, um, you know, after training, which constitutes the greatest amount of uh, sensitivity. Now, um, of the amino acids, there's this uh, amino acid called leucine um and it was identified as the trigger of this uh pathway this metabolic pathway called mTOR it's the mammalian target of rapamycin which is a 25 cent word which just means that it's a signaling pathway that allows for the facilitation uh, or improvement of protein synthesis or the protein synthesis response um and so when this mTOR pathway, when it was identified Um, You know, people were running to nutrition stores buying leucine powder and, uh, you know, wanting to do everything they could to consume leucine uh, in hopes to facilitate more, uh, uh, you know, muscular development. But it was demonstrated um, in further study that there's a leucine threshold uh, at around two to three grams. Uh, So um, there's no need to consume supplemental uh, leucine powder. This threshold at two to three grams can be obtained um in 20 to 40 grams of high quality protein uh now this can be weight dependent depen- depending on the uh, you know person's weight um but um uh, a consumption of 20 to 40 grams of high quality uh you know protein su- is sufficient to um you know consume the adequate amounts of uh, you know uh, leucine to trigger this mTOR pathway to facilitate improved protein synthesis and muscular development
0: Let me ask you a question real quick. The five hours that you were talking about, that magical window, is that five hours from the time that you end your workout? That's right. Yeah. Five hours. So you have up to five hours to to consume this protein. And not that it's not going to work anyway if you go past the five hours, but that's kind of the magical window to where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes,
1: and um, you know uh, that that window is stimulated during intense exercise. So um, there may uh, there there certainly is um, a coalescing of um, you know intense muscular training that plays a part of that window. But um, for practical purposes, uh, you know, five to six hours after intense muscular exertion is uh, is that magic window of uh, you know optimally utilizing protein. Um, it's interesting to note that protein is also insulinogenic, and uh, that it causes a rise in insulin for a period of time that um, that actually suppresses protein degradation and improves protein synthesis. Um, so, um, uh, so this is uh, this is important uh, because um, you know muscular training and muscular exertion and resistance exercise is critically important, uh, you know, to uh, you know facilitating uh, you know proper. Um, uh you know protein synthesis and muscular development um, if it is combined appropriately with nutrition particularly with protein consumption so how does protein impact body composition well uh, it increases satiety that's the um, medical parlance for um, uh, you know uh, the sensation of uh, being full. So the more protein you consume, um, the more full you feel and the stimulation of society is uh, that is um, you know stimulated uh, through um, increased protein consumption. Uh, there's also a greater thermic effect of food with consuming protein. so a calorie of protein is not the same as a calorie of a carbohydrate. There's definitely greater thermic effect of food that's stimulated through protein consumption as opposed to, uh, the consumption of uh, a corresponding equal amount of calories of carbohydrates. So, in a calorie surplus, elevated protein can enhance muscle mass and uh, reduce uh, the amount of fat that is um, uh, that is you know generated. And in a calorie deficit, that same amount of elevated protein can uh, facilitate greater fat loss. So, um, uh, it definitely is. Um, important that we understand um, the thermic effect of food and how protein uh, not only impacts uh, protein synthesis, but also um, uh, how it works on all these various other mechanisms to facilitate the reduction of fat loss um, and uh, fat mass and um, improve the sensation of satiety to reduce hunger, and uh, uh, which overall globally reduces uh, caloric consumption, if we're looking uh, for obtaining the objective of, um, you know, losing weight. Now, um, uh, people in the athletic community, sometimes weight loss is not the objective, uh, but um, uh, protein does, uh, you know, impact, um, you know, satiety
0: and uh, hunger. So, let me ask you a question in here real quick. Uh, so, calorie isn't just calorie, I mean, because a lot of times you hear people say that calorie is a calorie, you know, if you take in 3500 calories in excess, you're going to gain a pound, you, you know, you deficit, it's going to like, but it doesn't sound like that. And and I believe that's true because I watched that, that naked and afraid show. And these guys would like shoot a moose or something. Right. And they'd have all this protein, more protein than you could ever have, ever want. And they'd put it up in this rafter and eat it. And for whatever reason, even hitting their caloric goal, they still were losing weight like crazy just because they only had protein to consume. So that kind of alludes to the fact that a calorie isn't a calorie because if they ate 4,000 calories in protein in a day, it should have been perfectly fine. Like their body should have been okay, right? But it wasn't. And that only happened when they consumed vast amounts of protein. Did they hit their caloric bowl yet yet continue to lose weight on top of it? So that kind of, I guess that kind of substantiates that claim. But anyway, go ahead. I just wanted to put out there that apparently a calorie isn't a calorie. The thermogenic effects may mean that some certain types of calories are going to have a different impact on the body than others.
1: No, absolutely, most certainly. Um, I mean, um, you know, if you look at it practically, if you uh, substitute 100 grams of, um, uh, you know, uh, protein in place of, uh, uh, you know, 100 grams of carbohydrate, it's going to impact, um, uh, you know, the body in different ways. Uh, In terms of athletic performance, uh, you may have um, a slight reduction in athletic performance because uh, um, a primary fuel, glucose, that's uh, used to improve athletic performance, is reduced because the because you now you have uh, the predominant source uh, of uh, fuel being protein. Uh, but um, uh, on the corresponding side, you will have improved satiety uh, or hunger control, um, and uh, that. Uh, as a result, impacts um, uh, body composition and weight loss. So um, it, is not, uh, it is not correct to see consuming carbohydrates as having the same effect, uh, you know, on the body as proteins. Each have their place and each are critically important, but uh, protein affects the body in different ways than, uh, than carbohydrate
0: does. It seems almost, in just talking, that if you gave your body an adequate amount of carbohydrates to keep your glycogen storage up, and that's for the strength part and the whole instant energy type, but then fill the remainder of it with protein for for staying full and for protein synthesis, that almost seems, and I know that's probably going to come a little bit later as you go through this series, but that seems like a pretty winning combination based on the information you've given so far. Anyway, go ahead, just to throw that out there, because that's what it sounds like.
1: Yeah. Um, so how do we, how do we dose, uh, you know, protein, um, now, The there are various, uh, you know, parameters that uh, that affect proper dosing of uh, proteins affected by exercise, age, body composition, total energy intake and the training status of of a person, whether they're very athletic, minimally or moderately athletic. This all, uh, you know, plays a role in um, how the body best utilizes protein. But all of the data, you know, uh, has demonstrated that one to one and a half grams per pound of body weight uh, maximizes muscle protein synthesis and body composition. Um, so uh, we're looking at around 20 to 40 grams, uh, you know, per meal to maximize protein synthesis, um, uh, actually up to 70 grams uh, of protein per meal has been looked at in terms of its, um, safety and efficacy, um, in protein synthesis and has been demonstrated to be safe. Uh, the protein requirements for a 300 pound gorilla, uh, you know, male bodybuilder is going to be different than a 105 pound female, um,
0: who's wanting to uh, improve her body composition. So. One other question I have that I think a lot of people have is the one to one and a half um, grams of protein based upon what your weight should be or based upon what your weight is. And the reason I ask that is a lot of people obviously come to Viking and, you know, they might clock in at 300 pounds, but they really should be about 220. There's 80 pounds of fat, right, on because you know, getting older and so on. So would the one to one and a half grams of protein be based upon the 220 where they should be. Or would it be based upon the 300 pounds where they are?
1: Um, the way that it's usually calculated is based on
0: their um, their raw body weight,
1: uh, so um, as opposed to their ideal body weight. So, um, uh, if we're looking at optimizing body composition, uh, their protein requirements are going to be are going to be uh, you know increased. And so, um, when you have somebody who is morbidly obese. Um, they may not be able to consume that amount of protein. And so their protein requirements, uh, you know, may be, you know, globally reduced uh, depending upon their tolerance. If they have healthy kidney function in the absence of, um, you know, kidney disease, um, you know, uh, uh, increased protein, uh, you know, consumption is uh, is safe and will facilitate fat loss. But usually it's just calculated based on what the weight is on the scale instead of the ideal body weight. Um, So... Um, protein meal timing. How do we strategically um, consume protein? So um, maximal protein synthesis uh, uh, increases uh, um, to 30 to 100% following a protein meal with adequate essential amino acid consumption. Uh, So um, a post-meal consumption maximizing uh, protein synthesis is one to four hours and then uh, progressively decreases from there um, we know that a fasted state uh results in a reduced or reduction in uh, um, maximal protein synthesis and causes protein degradation so that has to be factored uh you know in uh, people who are involved in intermittent fasting or extended fasting not to say that that is wrong um, but they just have to you know account for um this idea of muscular degradation during the uh or protein synthesis degradation during the fasted state um and um that has to just be accommodated during their feeding window so um uh so there is um there's this idea of protein pacing um that's important to understand when we talk about uh taking in protein and the timing of protein consumption um it was demonstrated um uh in a number of clinical studies that uh if you flood the body continuously with amino acids um, and they looked at this in patients receiving parenteral nutrition intravenous amino acids um, you know for um, you know for protein supplementation that there's actually a um, uh, an amino acid refractory period where um, the body no longer responds to um, you know to uh, amino acids in terms of facilitating protein synthesis. So what um, has been proven is that um, there really needs to be, a period of time where the body is not being exposed to um, uh, a flood of amino acids. Um, that um, there should be a period of rest, and then um, and then the body is reintroduced to amino acids uh, to f- to maximally uh, stimulate protein synthesis. And so, this idea of um, Uh, protein bolusing, a bolus being a a partitioned amount of protein per meal separated um, in four to six servings throughout the day, uh, maximally stimulates uh, protein synthesis and avoids this amino acid refractory period that's been identified. So um, it's also been shown that nighttime protein feedings also attenuates protein degradation. So um, when you're planning your meals, eating a healthy amount of protein at bedtime also facilitates uh, um, you know healthy protein synthesis and uh, you know muscular uh, development so um, if we look at this practically if you're consuming 250 grams of uh, protein per day um, that equals about five to six meals of 40 to 50 grams of protein per meal. Evenly spread out, three to four hours apart. Uh, that's going to hit all of your, um, uh, you know, protein needs uh, throughout the body. And of course, those numbers drastically change depending upon the weight of the person and their their individual nutrition requirements. But that kind of gives um, an idea of um, uh, of how to appropriately, you know, uh, you know, administer protein and uh, partition that uh, throughout your meals throughout the day. Um, so we know that protein, uh, you know, consumption, you know. Uh, significantly affects, uh, you know, body composition. And this is why, as you mentioned in the beginning of our segment, um, uh, you know, uh, nutrition is so critically important that it drastically affects body composition. Um, you can have the best drugs in the world and put needles in your body all day long. If you are eating poorly um, and exercising improperly, um, all of that fortune you spend on the medicines is, um, uh, you know, can be completely wasted. Uh, nutrition is critically important um, as a foundation to really make all these other things that we do to improve body composition, you know, work the best. If we sacrifice, uh, you know, proper nutrition, we're going to sacrifice, uh, you know, the results we want to obtain. So
0: that um, that's the uh, the highlights of, uh, you
1: know, uh, protein
0: consumption. That's, awesome. that's incredible. Yeah. So, OK. So today it was protein today. And then I think you said like next week we might do fats or something like that. And like, that just kind of take. Pit- take these different macros and just kind of break them down and then tie it all in at the, at the end of that. So again, Nick, thank you so much for your insight. I think this is going to be something people are going to look at. And uh, I mean, that was stuff I learned. I mean, when I look at it like intermittent fasting where I don't eat from 7 PM until 11 the next day, if I look at those, putting those pieces of, of getting my protein in over the course of that window, it makes it looks a little bit different. My eating habits habits would, right? Because now I have to eat. And then like an hour later, I have to eat. And then an hour later, I have to eat. Like I have to, I have to put all of that within that, within that feeding window, like you said, as opposed right. to someone who can go until 11 o'clock at night. So I think it depends upon what you're doing with your body as far as, you know, your eating schedule and other things. Um, I do think the intermittent fasting does really good for like keeping my weight, but that could just be because I'm not able to eat from 7 p.m. to 11 a.m., which I normally could probably pack in an extra thousand calories and that just not even thinking about it. So uh, but anyway, thank you for the insight. We'll do facts next week. And again, Nick, thank you so much for all your wisdom and uh, and expertise.